0: This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, Chartered Financial Analyst and Certified Financial Planner Professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock here with the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to open the box of behavioral finance for a little bit today and talk about the non-numbers side of investing. In particular, I want to look at one of the biases that I feel like I see really commonly both in retail investors and professionals alike, because we are all human, and that's confirmation bias. We're going to talk about confirmation bias and how you can overcome that to become a better investor, a better saver, and how it can help you achieve better financial outcomes for you and your family in today's episode. When most people think of finance, they think of numbers, some sort of junior or senior level finance course in college, perhaps, time value of money, what is a stock, what is a bond. That's what most people think of when you say, I work in finance, or I think about finance, or I had a finance class. But there's a whole other side of finance that's very important, and that's behavioral finance. And it's a less famous side of finance, I think, but it's no less important. And behavioral finance analyzes the the bias, uh, the biases and the cognition errors that are inherently present in all of us because we're human beings. We're not perfect. We're not machines. And what are they? How can they be classified? What are these different biases? How can we overcome them? And what can we do in daily life to make sure we don't find ourselves entrapped by them? Because when you make an error as a result of a cognitive bias or an emotional bias, then there's probably some sort of fallout from that. I want to jump into real quickly what are cognitive errors and what are behavioral or emotional biases. So cognitive errors are, are basically like Think of it like a brain glitch. You maybe saw information and didn't process it correctly. Um, You may also have a lack of training. It could be topic related that, you know, uh, you haven't been trained in that area as much. And so your your analysis is maybe slightly flawed. Cognitive errors have, they're non-emotional. So... They have to do with a flaw in your calculation, a flaw in your reasoning, but nothing really to do with how something makes you feel or some emotional response that comes from that. Usually, cognitive errors can be overcome through education, through training, through repetition, uh, and recognition. I mean, once you are aware of... Uh, a cognitive error that you present frequently, you can take some steps to overcome that. And we'll talk about what I mean by that. But emotional biases are a little more challenging because those are biases that exhibit themselves in finance that result from something that causes an emotional impulse response or some sort of um, behavior or feeling. And that can be different for all of us. Maybe Um, based on your upbringing or your history, one person to another will exhibit different emotional biases. For instance, in general, people that grew up in the Great Depression tend to be excellent savers and tend to not spend money um, freely. And that's an example of a way that their history, their upbringing things that they've experienced during that incredibly, incredibly challenging time have carried through throughout their lifetime and impact them even today. There's all sorts of other issues that we all carry with us that impact how we think about finances. So again, cognitive errors are sort of like brain glitches and emotional biases are sort of like everything else. Now to me, Cognitive errors are important to understand because, like I said, if, if you know what they are, you recognize them, you are aware of them, you can actually take some steps to try to overcome them. And I want to talk about what I think is the most common cognitive error that I see, and we're going to walk through some, some examples. So... Confirmation bias, I think, is the most common cognitive error that impacts investors. And when people have an idea, and then, or or a viewpoint, or a thesis, depending on what we're talking about, then that they tend to look for and notice and recognize data that confirms that thesis idea or viewpoint, or belief. So, it's kind of like if you say, gosh, I feel like everybody drives a, um, let's pick on a car here, a Honda Accord. So, let's say, I think everybody drives in a Honda Accord these days, and then you tell that to your friend, and then your friend's driving along, and they see a Honda Accord, and, and then they see another Honda Accord, and they go, gosh, he's right. I I do see Honda Accords everywhere. He must be right. That must be the car that everybody's driving. Now, one must ask themselves, did he really see Honda Accords everywhere? Or was it just that now, since he was thinking about Honda Accords based on what this other person told him, that he recognized Honda Accords more frequently than perhaps he might have recognized another make and model of car that might be out there? When we see data out in the world. It's there already. And when we encounter it, we process it the way that we process things in our brain. We read them and we absorb information. We retain some of it, but not all of it. And we move on. Confirmation bias is kind of impacting that second piece. When we encounter data, confirmation bias tends to cause us to select data for retention that most closely aligns with our viewpoints or thesis so another example might be that if you are taking a stance on something investing wise or maybe it's not investing wise let's just say that oak trees are taller than maple trees let's say that's your your stance so you go out on a hike and you document every place that you saw an oak tree that was taller than a maple tree, and you come back and report, I went on a hike and I ex- I documented 10 instances of oak trees that were taller than maple trees. From a statistic standpoint and a bias standpoint, that's a great example of confirmation bias. Is it really that all of those oak trees were taller than maple trees, or did you just document the ones that you saw that were taller than maple trees? If you had documented every maple tree on your hike and every oak tree on your hike, would the results be the same? Or since you only documented those instances that were in alignment with your viewpoint, we don't really know. If you go to your friend and say, I went on a hike, I saw 10 oak trees that were taller than maple trees. I really believe oak trees are always taller than maple trees. That's not as powerful as... Let's pretend that he saw 50 trees on his hike and there were 20 of one type and 30 of the other. There were 20 oak trees and 30 maple trees and in in 19 cases they were taller. That is a more powerful instance because then you can say, I looked at a complete population of data from this sample at this hike that I went on. I documented every oak tree I encountered, every maple tree I encountered. This many oak trees were taller than this many maple trees, based on what I saw. Is that still perfect? No, because you've only looked at a small sample of all of oak trees and all of the maple trees in your area. You'd want to do a, a global cross section of of different climate types and different locations, different weather patterns. But the pro the point is the point is that when we have an idea in our mind, and then we go out and document things that are in alignment with that idea, that is a cognitive bias. That's a cognitive error, and it causes distortion in our data. When you take that and apply it to investing, you can have flawed returns, potentially, or, or flawed investment thesis. So let's say that you're meeting with friends, and maybe you're having a few beers, and uh, your friends have all just retired and they're investing and they they all tell you that, hey, we've all started investing in this stock um, ABC Widgets company and ABC Widgets is a, a, a pretend fake company, by the way, but let's just say ABC Widgets, they say is, we're really expecting this company to do extremely well. We're all investing in it. So your friends say, hey, you really need to buy ABC Widgets. So you say, I don't know guys, maybe send me some research, let me see. So your friends go home and the next day they pull up their computers and, and they start looking for research on ABC Widgets. They're most likely going to find a bunch of reports that support their viewpoint that ABC Widgets would make a great stock to buy. They find this news article, they find this research report, they find This earnings call transcript, they find all these things, they cobble it together, and send you, hey, look at all this great information that I found about ABC widgets. Clearly, after reading these things, you must believe that it's going to be a great stock. The problem with that is kind of like our example earlier. They didn't send a complete stance, a complete viewpoint of all of the research that's out there. There are Millions of people in the world all analyzing the same thousands of listed stocks and not everyone is going to agree. Whatever stock or fund or investment you're looking at, there's probably someone out there that thinks it's a great idea and there's probably somebody out there that thinks it's a terrible idea and that's actually how our markets work. When you buy something from the markets, you're also buying it from someone that's selling it. And vice versa. So, anytime you're buying, somebody else is selling. Anytime you're selling, somebody else is buying. That's what makes the markets work. You have an idea that something will move one way, there's someone else somewhere else in the world that believes it will move another way. We all deal with confirmation bias, whether you're a retail investor or you're a professional like me, or you work at a giant institutional money manager. And everything in between, this is something that we all must deal with and make sure that we don't fall victim to. There are a couple of ways that confirmation bias appears in portfolios and in the way that investors create their investment strategy. Um, The first one is kind of more broad, but it's kind of like what I said. If you take a stance, like maybe your stance is dividend-paying stocks are superior, or maybe your stance is Stocks that don't pay a dividend are are superior, whatever it is, you take that stance and then you tend to build a portfolio around it that supports that stance. So if, let's pretend, you have the viewpoint that dividend-paying stocks are a superior investment choice, then you load up your portfolio with dividend-paying stocks, and then in any year that that portfolio does well, you say, yes, clearly dividend paying stocks did really well but you may not have considered how another portfolio might have done in that same year or how did your particular portfolio of dividend paying stocks compare to another portfolio of dividend paying stocks and moreover did that dividend portfolio help you be in alignment with what your goals and objectives are we tend to build our portfolios around ideas and that's okay it's okay to have an investment thesis, but we have to analyze it and benchmark it on a, in a non-objective, non-biased way, and, and that's really our, our true test of whether a strategy is successful or not. When we're trying to identify investments to put in a portfolio, whether that's mutual funds or stocks or bonds, confirmation bias can tend to creep up in that scenario also. So, let's say you're doing a search for a mutual fund, and you want to identify managers that have typically uh, outperformed the index over the last 10 years, and then you also want managers that have a dividend yield over a certain amount. If you do that, and you believe that your, your theoretical strategy is to find long-term outperformers in this case over 10 years with above average dividend yields that might work but you're missing out on a lot of other managers when you do that and some great managers might be missed because they didn't meet that criteria and other managers that might be not so good but just happen to meet that criteria might make that cut they might have outperformed for the wrong reasons maybe they took too much risk or they drifted away from their portfolio objective into another asset class that they weren't supposed to in an effort to outperform. Maybe the dividend yield is extra high because they use leverage, we don't know. So you just have to take a magnifying glass and really analyze whether or not you're considering both sides of the coin when you're identifying investments for your portfolio. Another case that is really common, I think, is with executives, and they have a lot of their own company stock. So when a company has executives, they are often paid salary bonus, but then they also get some stock compensation from their employer, whether it's through restricted stock or restricted stock units or stock options. All of those are vehicles to buy shares of the company. And the reason is that um, current theory on on this is that when executives have more company stock, they're going to be incented to see the company do well because their own financial livelihoods are increasingly uh, vested in the company as a result of their increasing exposure to the company through its stock. And therefore, when the company does well, they do well, and investors do well, and everything's all in alignment. Now, prudent investing would generally dictate that you do not want to have a stock concentration because if you have a stock concentration and something terrible happens to that stock and they go bankrupt, you could lose out on all that money. And if you had a concentration in that stock, a a large amount of your portfolio was in that stock then your portfolio is taking an outsized hit from the loss of that stock going to zero. We get around this through diversification and say, well, you only want you know a minimal amount of your portfolio in one company, and that way, if that company goes bankrupt, then the loss to your overall portfolio is small. It's the classic, you don't put all your eggs in one basket analogy. If you have a concentrated position, and in my career, I've seen upwards of of executives' net worth in their own company, that's extremely concentrated. That is definitely all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Executives tend to think highly of the companies that they work for, and they obviously work hard, and they're talented people, and um, are, are generally convinced that the company they work for has a superior product or a superior strategy, or they're positioned in a superior market, or they have a process that's superior, or they have a research and development team that's superior. They have something that's their secret sauce that positions them well compared to their competitors, compared to their peers, and therefore their company's a great investment because they they know it so well, and and they work inside, and, and they're they really believe that they're poised to do great things with their company. Therefore, they tend to tune out the alternatives, which are maybe their competitors are actually better at that product or maybe that is not the optimal market for them or, or maybe their strategy isn't that good or maybe something else. But they tend to say, I believe my company is excellent at all these different things and therefore i'm comfortable holding all this stock in my company and that's really dangerous for a couple reasons obviously if they're wrong and something catastrophic happens then they could lose out on an enormous amount of their net worth that was tied up in their company it could be avoided if they would consider you know that they could be wrong that it might be wise to diversify of course Given the fact that they're executives and they're extremely intelligent, they probably know their competitors really well and have already analyzed their pros and cons, their strengths and weaknesses, and would have a good retort on why such and such competitor is actually inferior and and all of this. But at the end of the day, the diversification element is extremely important and missing in that type of scenario. Confirmation bias, I think, is important to overcome in that situation because you have to say, well, but I might be wrong. And that's just kind of diversification in general and why it's a good idea for all of us. Uh, you know, Lots of people say, well, this asset class has outperformed for the last decade. Surely it will outperform again. I'm going to just put all my money in there. Well, you might be wrong. Or this stock has outperformed its peers for so long and I just really believe that they're going to continue to do so. Well, you might be wrong. Or I believe that this company is going to continue to do so well because they're one of the top companies in the market. Everybody uses their product. I don't know anybody that doesn't use their product. You might be wrong. Have you ever heard of Blockbuster? Or when's the last person you saw carrying a BlackBerry? Companies come and go, and they can vanish very quickly. So we have to be careful that we don't let confirmation bias creep into our thought process when we're building portfolios. In future podcasts, I want to go into other cognitive errors and emotional biases to talk about how sometimes our own brains can play tricks on us and prevent us from making the best investment decisions we possibly could. We are not computers, and while computers are out there uh, making investment decisions in some cases, they have their own sets of issues, and we may talk about that too. I enjoyed talking about behavioral finance with you a little bit today. It's a really interesting part of finance that I don't think gets the headlines and news bites that it should, but it's a really important thing to understand so that you can recognize in yourself when you might be making an error and and how you can overcome that. And the key, especially in the case of confirmation bias, is to just try to look at a broad, equal sample of all the data that you encounter, not just the data that supports your position. Be open-minded and try to walk away from bias, and that's a key to overcoming confirmation bias. That's all for today's episode. We'll see you next week. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates, unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions damages or other losses resulting from or related to the information data analysis or opinions or their use past performance is not a guarantee of future results all investments are subject to investment risk including possible loss of principle individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position investment objectives and risk profile before making any investment decisions this podcast is not solicitation to purchase or sell securities, or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.